You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 258 of Podcateers. This week we talk about some amazing opportunities that Melissa and Gavin will have the chance to check out. The walls of Project Stardust have finally completely come down and we talk about some of the magic that it brought us. Plus, I tell you a little about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it came to be and how I feel it impacted society. If you'd like to join the conversation, we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything that we talk about in this episode. Just search for Podcateers on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. You can also leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 258. A huge thank you to our pals Jason and Liam for joining us to discuss the Marvel Cinematic Universe now that Avengers Endgame is all said and done. The full two-hour episode will be available for the FGP squad, but you'll get to hear the first 30 or so minutes of that recording at the end of this episode. If you're not part of the FGP squad, this is a great time to join. The FGP squad, or as we call them, our podcast fairy godparents, are a group of listeners just like you that help make episodes like this happen through their support via Patreon. As part of the FGP squad, you'll get extra stuff like the full MCU recording that we just did, and for a minimum contribution of $5 monthly, you also get the exclusive Fairy Godparent button, plus you'll be entered into the exclusive FGP giveaways starting this June. More information can be found at podcateers.com FGP. And a huge thank you goes out, as always, to the FGP squad for their continued support. If you're not in a position to join the FGP squad, but you'd still like to help out, we have a really easy way for you to do that. The next time you need to buy something on Amazon, start your purchase by going to podcateers.com Amazon. On that page, you'll find a large Amazon button that will take you to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link, and anything you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already doing this before each purchase, we'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you. Remember to stick around after the episode is done for a preview of the two-hour talk that we did on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now, it's time to jump into this episode. Here is episode 258 of Podcateers. I mean, I I guess I should start by apologizing if I sound like... Have a, extra sultry. Like, uh, extra sultry today, <laughs> dude. I I don't like to be sick. I very rarely get sick, and usually when I get sick, I just kind of push through it. I you know yeah. I just don't let it bother me. I I sweat through the fever, as they say. And man, this weekend was just one of those weekends where it knocked me down hard. I was basically in the fetal position all weekend, sitting or laying on the couch asleep for the majority of the day and night. And I I don't I don't even know what happened. I just know that on Friday <laughs> I was getting ready to leave work and I was super excited because we had this three day weekend coming and and we were leaving early and I thought this is great. I'm going to go home, rest, and then this weekend I have this and this planned. We got a barbecue with our friends coming up. And then as 
the evening of Friday progressed, I just felt worse and worse and worse till I felt like I was just too warm. And I thought, well, this doesn't feel right. And then that <laughs> night I had a fever. I started coughing. And like every time I would cough, it felt like my chest was compounding and there was an elephant sitting on top of it. And oh. it was horrible. Like I was short of breath most of the weekend. And it was just not the best three-day weekend I've had. So I would like a do-over, please. I just, <laughs> okay. can we just start over and Granted. do the weekend again? Uh, I guess I guess the benefit is that it didn't happen on the weekend, ooh, knock on wood, that we're going to go to Galaxy's Edge, right? Right. Right. Um, Get it out of your system. Yeah. Uh, you know, my the kids were sick. And uh, luckily... I was able to have enough medication coursing through my system to allow me to get together with Gavin and our friends Liam and Jason to record a special episode about Marvel and our thoughts on the MCU. And it, it was a good talk. I just want to start by saying thank you to the three of them for really allowing me to not say much. <laughs> <laughs> because I was so worried that I was my voice was going to give out or something by the end of that recording. And I I was doing like foolish things like we do when we start recording where I start like la 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 and like singing. I started uh, off yeah. doing the same thing and I thought, yeah, that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really it was not a problem for me to pretty much carry the show because we all know about my passion for marvel and the marvel oh, yeah. cinematic universe true so true i was able to just monologue and <laughs> give all the thoughts i ever wanted to give on the greatness that is the 25 films of the mcu 30 24 45 24 okay 24 when okay. spider-man comes out 24 gotcha yeah. <laughs> no it was great i mean i've i, I really have never heard gavin just as we say, wax poetic about <laughs> about the MCU. Uh, I mean, he went on straight for a good 82 minutes, and then we just had to cut him off. We're like, dude, wow. you got to let other people talk. <laughs> Impressive. Uh... You were holding it in for that episode. <laughs> and by that, and by that many minutes, I mean he talked for literally like six minutes total. Yeah, that's about right. It was interesting, though. It was fun to hear everybody's perspectives and really to kind of provide the outside perspective almost yeah. mm -hmm. to let people know who aren't, you know, completely enthralled with the MCU and in involved in it and get a perspective from somebody who kind of observes it from the outside, you know. Um, and I, I, everything about it is impressive. So it, it was cool to just geek out about it even though i'm not you know i don't have both feet in that universe yeah it, it was a great talk the talk is actually going to be available for the fgp squad on patreon but to give you guys a little bit of a preview of what the talk was at the end of this episode we're going to tack on the first like 30 35 minutes of the talk so you guys can check it out and then if you want to hear the rest of it just head on over to podcasters.com slash fgp you'll see the link there to sign up and be a part of the 
the FGP squad and you'll get stuff like this going forward plus you'll be entered in the giveaways that we're going to start as of next month as we celebrate our fifth anniversary again at the end of the episode we'll tack it on and in this episode you know later on I'm going to be talking about the MCU and I wanted to talk about the impact that the MCU has made but we we did talk a little bit about that so in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of what brought the MCU to where it is today and the impact that it made. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a history on it as well to just kind of uh, to dip your toes in it before you jump into the big uh, two-hour talk. No joking. It was two hours long. <laughs> it was a great talk. I really hope that we get a chance to do more like that in the future because I certainly enjoyed it. Nice. I can't wait to hear it. All right. So before we continue, I, I'm i kind of excited. Well, no, let me rephrase that. I'm super excited for you, Melissa, because <laughs> you dropped some news on us in our little text chat that kind of blew me away. Would you like to share that news with everybody? Sure. It still hasn't hit me, but um, I'll be at Galaxy's Edge uh, Friday. Damn! Awesome. <laughs> I it's still I I'm so nervous. I'm so excited. I don't know what to expect, but I'll be there. You know, representing us. And That's amazing. Yeah, I was like, man. I mean, it's crazy, and um, I'm just super excited and can't wait to share. So yes. Yeah, and I think because there's been a lot of cast member previews, they've mm -hmm. been making people place their cameras or any recording equipment into plastic bags, similar yeah. to what they do at the D23 Expo, whenever mm -hmm. you walk into like one of the important panels and stuff like that. And so uh, we haven't really seen a lot about what's happening inside outside of getting people's take on it. This is I mean, this is super exciting because officially the the christening and the, the grand announcement and presentation is happening on the 29th, the day that we release mm -hmm. this episode. And so if you're listening to this on launch day, remember that on podcateers.com, we're going to have a page on the blog where you'll be able to watch the ceremony as it streams live once it's obviously posted you'll still be able to go there it won't be live after that but at least you'll get to see the opening day ceremony and then uh the fact that you'll be able to be there finally on the days that i hope they will finally allow you to take pictures and video We're i hoping. think they will <laughs> i think they will there's no reason not to at that point right because it'll officially be open yeah. right yeah. Right. So, yeah. They, I will be shocked if they make you bag your camera because they want they want promo. Right now, it's still super soft open while they're, you know, there's probably some things that they're still practicing and working on and getting the flow right with the cast members. But come the first day of reservations, they want everybody on social media to help them advertise. I mean, as if they needed any help. Well, they're going to get it. <laughs> right. It's going to be, if you don't care about Galaxy's Edge, you might as well just stay off social media for the next few weeks because that's all it's going to be. It's scratch oh, yeah. that years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I've got two coworkers that have both been already during cast member previews and they gave me 
all the deets and it got me even more excited just listening to them talk about it and and hear their tale it sounds like the process of getting registered and getting in there and you know getting to experience everything they're 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 being really efficient about it so i feel like even though we're going to be limited with these reservations to just a four-hour window mm-hmm. i think that's going to allow us plenty of time to get the majority, if not all, of the experience that's available. So, uh, man, I I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing people post about it on Instagram, and they're saying that they're getting uh they they they've been having the ability to ride the attraction at least four times. Yeah, and there's oh, wow. a single rider line too. So, uh, if you don't mind splitting up, you can do it. I I know one person that went seven times on the attraction during their window. Yeah. Were they? Because they just did single rider. Were they able to still enjoy the visuals and go to the store, buy any concessions or anything? The one thing that um, it's about 50 50, because I was at the park yesterday and I was listening hard to any cast member walking around with one of those wristbands. And. the big story right now is that the longest line by far is the cantina. And that's because they allow you to sit there for 45 minutes. You know, the attraction wait time is, is much shorter and the ride itself is much shorter than that. So it flows, you know, they, they crank people through that. So you don't have any problem getting on the attraction, but getting into the cantina is much trickier. So if that is your priority, from everything I've heard, if that's your priority, get in line for the cantina first. Make sure you do that or else you may miss out because based on your wristband, they know how much time is left in the win- in the line mm-hmm. and how much time is left in your reservation window and they'll cut you off. They'll say, I'm sorry, if you get in line now, you won't make it so you can't get in line. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if that's your priority, make sure you do that first. My priority is the attraction. Yeah. So – yeah. I, I can go to the cantina all summer. If you can get in. If I can yeah. get in. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that once they have it hashed out that it, it'll be part of the Disney Play app or, or the Disneyland app, rather, and you'll be able to make yeah. reservations to get in. So I'm exactly. sure that that's coming. It's just not necessarily there yet. Uh, but yeah. I know that other people have been testing the data pad and the ability to make things function and react to your stay in Batu. And so there have been cast members that have been testing that in the play app, and I'm super excited to test that part of the experience. Super excited, yeah. yeah. Especially considering that we had talked about whether or not at some point you'll be able to reset the experience, you know, switch sides at any point, uh, or if it's just yeah. depending on the choices you make that day, how it veers you to one side or the other. If it's that yeah. simple, that's kind of cool because you'll be able to experience everything the way that you want to in a day or yeah. two and then come back and then do the opposite and then get, you know, the other experience. So I guess mm-hmm. we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to give any spoilers because I've I've heard a lot of details about it. But I, I will say one thing that if you're going to Galaxy's Edge, just be open to talking to cast members. That's all I'm going to say. Just conversations happen keep them going yeah cool i've heard that too and this is the first i'm hearing of anything so i'm like what (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i'm i'm so excited for you i can't even begin to explain to you (laughs) Uh, i mean we have our reservation i mean i'm excited for that opportunity uh but man oh 
it's so good to be able to hear about it on the next episode. Ah, yeah, yeah. I'm all in. I'm all in. Uh, also, Gavin, you are going to be attending a very special event. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't believe it. Actually, I'm I'm in the same place that Melissa is. Uh, I, <laughs> it still hasn't sunk in, but you know, as as excited as we are about new Disney things. Those of us who geek out about Disneyland especially um, love celebrating classic Disney things. And there's almost nothing more classic than the Haunted Mansion. And they Mm -hmm. are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Haunted Mansion this year. And they decided to do it with a special ticketed event. Um, It's the first time they've ever done this for an attraction. They didn't even do it for Pirates uh, a couple years ago. So... Arg, uh, but <laughs> it's it's this amazing uh, limited event. They're doing it on two nights, and they only sold nine hundred and ninety nine tickets each night, which is very appropriate. It's basically going to be two different phases of this event. The first of phase is in the Disneyland Hotel, and it's during the day, and it's going to include. Um, some some merchandise giveaways and some photo ops and kind of a come and go as you please uh, type thing where you can interact with uh, whatever they have there and uh, but it's not like you're not trapped there all day you go and you experience that and then you can do whatever you want but then the in park part of the uh, party phase two happens at 11:30 p.m. and goes till 4 a.m. So this is like a crazy cool, like middle of the night, like dream scenario. And they're basically opening up the left hand side of the park, minus Galaxy's Edge, obviously. Uh, But like that whole side of the park will be open for 999 people. It's incredible. Like only that many people are going to be in that whole half of the park. Hashtag jelly. Right? Oh my gosh. It's going to be. So they're going to have. Several attractions open. They're going to have the Tiki Room, Indiana Jones, Haunted Mansion, Pirates, Splash, and Big Thunder all open. They're going to have special merchandise, tons of photo ops. Uh, Haunted Mansion characters are supposed to be milling about. It's going to be a – for us, we considered it a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And we're very lucky that we could, you know – afford these tickets which weren't cheap and that we were able to get in that digital queue not that dissimilar to what they did for the galaxy's edge preview oh interesting and uh we i I couldn't believe it but i got tickets and (laughs) it still hasn't sunk in that is so (laughs) cool man I'm yeah, it's gonna be cool. Just like with Mel, I'm like so happy for you right now because uh-huh. you know I'm a huge mansion fan and oh, yeah. I know you're a huge pirates fan, so I can understand your disappointment, but you know, you're you're downplaying it saying like, Oh, we kinda think that it's a once in a lifetime. It is a once in a lifetime. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it <laughs> only it, it's only gonna celebrate its fifty year anniversary one time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, dude, this is a big deal. This is amazing. Uh, like I, I can't wait to hear about everything that they have yeah. at that event. It, yeah, Just we're we're gonna try and record as much as we can and and provide as much content as we can for you. Now they're doing it on two different nights, um, sequentially, but the night that we got tickets for is the 
actual 50th anniversary <gasps> yes! night. So that's the, the way to do it. The ninth. Uh, so that to me was a little more special. Like it's weird. Like they put you in the queue and then you go to the registration page once you make it in and it's like, okay, pick your night. And I was like, <gasps> Which one do I pick? Because I figured most people would be picking that one. And I, if I don't go fast, I might not get it. But it all worked out. And uh, the, I'd never done one of those digital queue like scenarios before. But that was stressful and exciting and insane. Like I, I was sweating. Like everybody at work <laughs> mm-hmm. was like cheering me on. Like, you're going to get it. We know you're going to get it. <laughs> and the little counter was telling me how many people were in line ahead of me. And it kept like dropping. And I, I was just, man, I was so excited. And then it finally happened. And then I collapsed into my chair and. And then you needed a cigarette. I basically did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And or a scotch. Oh, and a scotch, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, yeah, that, that, cool. that intensity, I think, is what a lot of us felt when we were trying to get reservations for Galaxy's Edge. Yes. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. this is the mansion's 50th, man. I mean, I'm, I've been seeing the art that some of our favorite oh, artists are producing, yes. you know. And uh, it's just, dude, D23 is going to be replete with Haunted Mansion stuff. And I am yeah. just worried. I'm worried that I am going to have to sell a kidney in order <laughs> yep. to get everything that I need. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so I kind of have a plan. How about this? Okay. Okay. How big is your backpack? <laughs> I would not say that it's hazen-sized, if that's what you're getting at. Can you carry one hazen-sized <laughs> if I, like, like, like add some straps to me and we, like, Chewbacca myself to your back? I don't see why we can't do that. Let's do it. When they ask... <laughs> Although there is security. Oh. But I can, I can just be like, uh, and just act like I'm a backpack. And so okay. when they say... What is this Sasquatchian thing on your back? You could be like, oh, this is Harold's cousin, the Hazen Abominable <laughs> Snowman. And they'll be like, what is that? We've never heard of that. And you can be like, no, it's legit, bro. It's just a backpack. Yeah. It'll it's work. The ghost. It's the ghost of Harold that now lives in the mansion. Oh, yeah, that'll work because there's always room for one more. There, yeah, there, there you go. go. There we go. No, I think that's a great plan. I, I think we can totally do that. Good stuff. Yeah, it's going to be a Haunted mansion a month for sure with that Haunted Mansion party. Then D23 is going to be celebrating the heck out of it for sure just a couple weeks later. So, yeah, it's going to be – August is looking good. I'm liking August this year. So should we create like some kind of crazy goal to ride the mansion 999 times this year to celebrate its 50th anniversary? Uh. Ooh. accepted yes like should we make that <laughs> i think it's more realistic that we would do it 50 times but maybe a collective <laughs> 999 times oh maybe that's, that's a lot work. of that's a lot of times dude <laughs> i know it is but we also have a year like, it to would celebrate. be hard to do it nine times in a day right no no it, it, no. it, it wouldn't be easy it wouldn't be easy depending on the day but we've Let's hit just 21 say that's Okay, but let's just say nine is moderate difficulty. You would have to do that a hundred times. Right. And then considering that I haven't been able to go to the park 
Right. Uh, You've been there, what, like twice this year? Twice this year in six months so oh, far. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thanks. I would it's need... all on me and Melissa. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so I would need 18 years. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So let's let's make that goal then. Let's try to ride the mansion 50 times okay. for the 50th anniversary. I think that's actually doable. And we should do it 50 times while it's the original mansion version. Oh, oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. So then what we'll do is we'll try to record video on any phone that we can just compile to do the 50 and then we'll put it up on the YouTube channel so we can do the okay. counter and everything. Okay. I yeah. like it. Like I'm it. in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Challenge accepted. Okay. All right. Whew. I'm excited for you guys. I'm so happy. And it's not just the medication talking. I'm like genuinely <laughs> happy for you guys. <laughs> Okay, so um, Project Stardust is fast on its way to completion, it looks like, because all of the construction walls around the hub, which have been many, are down. All the construction walls around Sleeping Beauty Castle are down. And oh my gosh, like I said last time, it is so good looking. Uh I am the biggest fan of what they did. This is my favorite plussing of the castle ever Mm -hmm. fan freaking tastic and on the left hand side of the hub one thing we've talked about is the adventureland signage Mm -hmm. well the main sign uh the new sign is now in place i don't know if there's more elements going to be added to it but it's really cool because it's this big high archway with two like carved horns crossing in the middle and then it says Adventureland across it. And it's really, um, I think, more understated than I expected because the last one had so many elements going on with tiki and sculpture and flowers Mm -hmm. and torches and blah, blah, blah. This is just big like bamboo poles stretched across a span and it's higher and it's got a bigger arch to it. So it makes that walkway seems so much more broad and open and it actually allows you to see into Adventureland and see the buildings that it previously obscured. I I actually really like it. I like I said I don't know if they're going to be adding any more elements to it like off to the side or anything, but as it stands now visually, it makes a beautiful entrance to Adventureland and I think it was a really good move. And I mentioned last time that I kind of felt like they should move next door and and work on Frontierland, but they kind of look good together now. Like if you stand back and kind of look at both entrances, they, in a way, they kind of mirror each other now. One being a more straight line, you know, uh, log fort kind of look, and then one being more of a curvy bamboo look. But the proportions and the size and the height at which they are kind of go together it's it's actually kind of cool i like it so there's better symmetry between the two walkways now exactly that's cool exactly i I think it looks really cool so i'd be interested to know what other people think stand back at the hub and look at both entryways together and see what you think yeah it, it does feel that they're going to be adding more elements to it because and I'm, I could be wrong, but uh, as far as what's there, the horns weren't part of the original installation. Because if I remember correctly, uh, unless they were posting older photos, 
when the mm. when the sign first went up and people posted it on Instagram, those two horns that you're talking about at the top with the tiki mask weren't mm-hmm. there. I those ah. are those are recent. Okay, I didn't see any previous posts. I just saw it when I was there yesterday for the first time. Yeah, I, I really like what they did with it. I've seen a couple of videos and pictures uh, on Instagram. And uh, I'll see if I can repost them unless uh, Gavin or Melissa are able to go and and post some pictures of it on the Podcateers Instagram account. Then we'll go ahead and we'll post those in the blog post for the episode over at podcateers.com slash 258. And uh, yeah, like Gavin said, give us your thoughts on this new sign. I'm hoping I get a chance to see it sometime this year, especially now that we have this Ride the Mansion 50 times challenge. <laughs> now I have to go because it's a thing. It's it's a challenge. Like, we have to go. And I, I can't not. <laughs> it's homework. It's, it's homework. Exactly. It's Yeah, that's what it is. That's what I call it. Yeah. I call it podcast homework. Hey, since you were talking about all of the walls coming down, uh, can we just quickly talk about the brilliant homage to Herb Ryman next to the castle? Yes. Yeah, that's I, fantastic. Uh, yes. Man, there, there's always these little nods. Um, Disney puts in the parks uh, outside of the windows and everything, you know, to former Imagineers, to Disney legends. And... Just directly to the right of the entrance of a Sleeping Beauty Castle, there's a small tree that went up. Uh, it's a it's it's what many people re- refer to as the Herb Ryman tree, and if you look at the sign that's underneath it, it says Artisticus Specius Rymanus. So good, and I love it, man. I, it was one of the most touching tributes that I've seen Disneyland do uh, with any plussing to anything. Um, there's an entire story about the Christmas trees and Herb Ryman that I think really deserves its own segment. And since we already got enough stuff going on in this episode, we'll save it for a future episode. So that's a tease, kids. That's coming. Uh, but it, it's it's a really great story. I love the fact that it's there, and uh, it's it's a tiny Christmas tree year round, guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's yeah, adorable. it's it's really cool. Is is he? He's the only person who's got a double tribute in the park, right? Mm-hmm. A window and a tree. Yep. That's yeah. freaking awesome, yep. man. It's very. Cool. I love it. I love it. So uh, that's another thing that we'll find some pictures of and we'll post. Uh, but I, I just thought as soon as those walls came down and I started seeing the pictures with the tree, I remember seeing a picture from a specific angle and, and I saw this little tree on the side and I thought, man, that looks like a Christmas tree. And, and I didn't give it a second thought at first. And then I started seeing more people post the actual Christmas tree. And then I saw the sign. I was like, no way, this is actually a thing. (laughs) And I was, I was super happy about it. So, yay. Uh, I'm glad that it's there. And uh, uh, I think we should get to our main topic because as much as I want to continue talking about all the cool things going on in the park, I, I feel like my voice is starting to give out. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so maybe it's a good time to jump into the main topic before it fully goes out. Are you guys okay with that? I'm Let's cool. do it. Awesome. <laughs> Before we jump into the main topic, I do want to remind you that this episode of Podcateers is brought to you by the awesomeness of the FGP squad. 
Of course, the FGP squad is what we like to refer to as our podcast fairy godparents, and they provide us help with monthly contributions via Patreon. If you would like more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head over to podcasters.com slash FGP for more information. To all of the members of the FGP squad, we just want to send out a huge thank you for all of your continued support. Okay, so... Avengers, Endgame. Yeah. Dun, uh, I for in like in my head, I was hearing the Avengers theme, but my mouth was gonna sing something different for some reason, and I <laughs> caught myself at that last millisecond, and I thought that's that's no, that's not the song from Avengers. How dare you, sir? What, what was it? Was it gonna be na 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 no Batman? Um, I'm gonna go with no. Oh, okay. No, was it but Spider-Man? you're close. Spider-Man. But you're close. <laughs> okay. It was a Haunted Mansion song. Ah! <laughs> I have Haunted close. Mansion on the brain now. <laughs> um, okay, so Avengers Endgame. Uh, it essentially culminated an 11-year story arc, unlike anything that we've ever seen before, and honestly, we'll possibly ever see again. The the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as it came to be known, or the MCU, made an impact on pop culture, television, film, and quite frankly, a lot of individuals' lives. Uh, before we talk about that piece in particular, like I said earlier, I want to talk a little bit about how Marvel got to where it is today and the struggles that it went through before it became a pop culture phenom. Comic books, along with television and cinema, have had a long-standing relationship. Since the 1960s, the Marvel Universe has had a footprint in pop culture outside of comic books with live-action television shows and films. The shows didn't have massive budgets and seemed very campy at times, but one thing was certain. The fact that your favorite heroes were coming off the pages, onto your screen, and that was something special. Marvel had experienced much growth between the 1960s through the 1980s because of the wonderful storytelling and how relatable the stories were. Marvel stories separated themselves from other comics because they allowed us to connect with these characters through their real-world insecurities and flaws. It was certainly evident in one of the most successful shows that Marvel produced, The Incredible Hulk, starring Lou Ferrigno, but the company's bread and butter, so to speak, was in the form of uh, printed pages with names like Spider-Man and Fantastic Four printed on the cover. In 1989, a millionaire by the name of Ron Perlman spent $82.5 million to purchase Marvel Entertainment Group, which was then owned by New World Pictures. He saw so much potential that he even took the company public. However, Perlman was investing in a lot of outdated ideas that ended up costing Marvel about $700 million. Whoa. I know. It, it's a, a lot of money, especially in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Uh, the early 90s was a bit of a turning point for comics because it was 1989's Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the movie in 1990 that brought comic book fandom to a new level on the big screen and it showed studio execs that comic book heroes could be a force to be reckoned with at the box office. 
1992, though, brought a mass exodus of Marvel artists that wanted to create but not give up the rights to their characters. So artists like Eric Larson, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, and Mark Silvestri, among others, left Marvel to form Image Comics. Also, around this time, a lot of people started collecting comics for their possible future value versus their content. And this was bad because the business execs saw this and started to overproduce comic books. This oversaturation meant that the value in those comics didn't really exist anymore. With the departure of some of their best artists and this crazy perceived value bubble, many at Marvel could see that darker times were looming. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Uh, regardless, in 1993, Marvel bought 46% of stock shares in a company called Toy Biz that was already producing licensed action figures using Marvel characters. One of the changes that came with the deal was the shuffling of executives, one of which was Avi Arad. Arad was named president and CEO of Marvel Films and was given 10% stake in ownership. By 1996, investments that Perlman made years earlier kind of came back to bite Marvel in America's, uh, well, you know, <laughs> because in 1996, Marvel filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Ouch. And it, it, I mean, it's hard to believe that, you know, 13 years later, you know, they're in the state that they are when, you know, just over a decade, they were almost completely bankrupt and out of business. Wow. Yeah. The company was in really bad shape at this point and almost folded over had it not been for them licensing their characters to other studios. In 1997, a slew of what we'll call not so good movies were released, but it was one particular film that was released that year that may interest Marvel fans in general, and that was the film Volcano. You guys remember Volcano? No. No? No. Not many people do. But this film did not have any superheroes or was even produced by Marvel. But the film was executive produced by Lauren Schuller Donner, spouse of Richard Donner, who did his own little superhero film way back in 1978. You may have heard of it, actually. It's called Superman. You, you've mm -hmm. heard of it, right? Oh, right, yeah. Right? Superman? Yeah. Sounds familiar, right? <laughs> Lauren's assistant on Volcano was a plucky young lad by the name of Kevin Feige. Ha. Yeah. Nice. Ah. In 1998, Marvel was rebranded Marvel Enterprises and restructured into four quadrants of business after Avi Arad and Ike Perlmutter were able to take control of Toy Biz and Marvel back from Ron Perlman. Those four segments became known as Marvel Studios, Toy Biz, Marvel Publishing, and Marvel Licensing. Although the early 90s films that I talked about a bit ago had brought a comic resurgence, it was a handful of films released in 1997 that made studio execs question whether the genre was even worth continuing to invest in because these types of films were super expensive to make and they weren't bringing in the money at the box office that they expected. However, it was 1998's Blade produced by New Line Cinema and executive produced by Avi Arad that turned that tide. It brought in a whopping $131.2 million while only having a budget of $45 million to create. 
So Marvel fans especially loved it because the movie stayed true to the source material. Kevin Feige, uh, a lifelong Marvel fan, landed a sweet associate producer gig on X-Men in 2000 alongside Richard and Lauren Schuller Donner and Avi Arad. Within a month of the release of X-Men, Marvel brought in Kevin Feige as an executive VP. He then had the opportunity to be an executive producer for Marvel for the releases of Spider-Man 1 and 2, Blade 2 and Blade Trinity, Daredevil, X2, Hulk, and The Punisher between 2002 and 2004. Even though a lot of these films were pretty successful, the problem was that Marvel wasn't seeing the money come in because these properties were all owned by other studios. Marvel had to make changes, and it had to make them fast. In 2003, David Maisel joined Marvel, and this next part of the story seems to create a point of contention for most people. You see, David Maisel is said to have suggested the concept of no longer licensing characters, but instead becoming their own studio and even presenting a financial model that would allow them to do so. He talked about how each film could stand on its own, but could also lead into another and live in the same universe, very similar to how George Lucas had done with Star Wars. This is where it gets contentious because some people believe that the MCU was the brainchild of David Maisel, and some people believe that it was Kevin Feige's. But regardless, it's where it has ended up that's all Kevin Feige. Mm -hmm. The studio idea was lobbied to the board, and the decision was made that the idea could go forth as long as Marvel didn't have to pay anything to do it. So imagine getting a, a thumbs up, but then saying, well, but you can't spend our money. Just go do it without any cash behind it. <laughs> That's a weird situation to be in, right? Yeah. So the company ended up applying for a bank loan to start their own film production company and was granted $525 million by Merrill Lynch against the rights to 10 of their properties as collateral. As part of the deal, they had to produce no more than 10 films over the course of eight years. If they failed to pay back the loan from the profits, the bank would own Captain America, The Avengers, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Black Panther, Ant-Man, Nick Fury, Cloak and Dagger, a character by the name of Shang-Chi, which I've personally never heard of, and the superhero siblings known as Power Pack. With everything going on, by 2005, tensions had grown thick between David Maisel and Avi Arad, especially when Maisel was promoted to vice chairman of Marvel and reported directly to Ike Perlmutter. In 2006, Avi Arad left Marvel. To kick off their universe, Marvel wanted to use a character that hadn't really been seen on the big screen before, but were having trouble deciding. And around that time, New Line Cinema ironically a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, owned the rights to Iron Man. But they didn't really see a future for the character, and so they let their option to renew expire, and the rights went back to Marvel just months before this decision was made. And Marvel, unfortunately, couldn't use the money they received from the bank loan to fund Iron Man because the character wasn't part of the original loan deal. This meant that in order to make Iron Man the first film in their shared universe, they had to put up their own money. 
considering that Iron Man wasn't one of what they considered their A-list players for Marvel, it was a huge gamble. A $140 million gamble, to be exact. But the film was one that they were willing to take a risk on. And the risk, it paid off because Iron Man made $585 million worldwide. The film introduced us to a character that we could relate to because of his flaws and insecurities. At the same time, the film gave us a character with a duality of being suave and debonair, yet brash and irreverent. That combination made Tony Stark one of the best characters in film. He was a multifaceted character that pretty much everyone could connect with. The next film would be Hulk, because historically, there was already some evidence that the character would be successful. So within a year, we got a reboot of what many people actually even forget is part of the MCU, The Incredible Hulk, starring Ed Norton. And let me sidebar for a second here, because this is actually important for two reasons, which actually might explain a couple of questions some of you may have about the Hulk character. Um, At the time, the rights to The Incredible Hulk were owned by Universal, not Marvel. But Marvel really wanted to use the character of Hulk as their second film. So as it's been told, uh, uh, there's some debate as to who actually made this call. But someone at Marvel called Universal Chief Ron Mayer and asked if Universal would be making another Hulk film. He said no. An offer was placed on the table for Marvel to reacquire the rights to the Hulk and make at least one more movie with the character. In return, Marvel would pay Universal, pay them, to distribute the film, essentially giving Universal free money just for the rights to use that character in their next film. I mean, overall, it sounds like a pretty good deal for Universal, right? They don't do any of the legwork. They get paid to distribute a film, and Mm -hmm. they make money. There was one catch, though. Universal could only distribute and in turn make money from films that use the Hulk as the main character, not as a supporting character. So Mm. as the Hulk went on to appear in Avengers and other films, Universal got nothing, but Marvel got the usage of the Hulk. Wow! It gets even crazier (laughs) when you take into consideration uh, how contracts are laid out for the characters east and west of the Mississippi, Although I don't want to get into that whole thing right now. So that's a conversation for another time. But uh, that, along with the fact that it was reported that Ed Norton had creative differences with Marvel while making the Hulk film, just know that if you've ever wondered why you've never seen that lovable big green monster in his own film again, well, there you go. So anyway, so back to the, the, the main story here. Uh, So with two successful films and also having a clear roadmap that led to culminating his shared universe with an Avengers film, Marvel caught the attention of one Bob Iger, who helped strike a deal with the burgeoning studio to acquire them for about $4 billion. $4 billion, okay? When just years ago, they weren't worth like... Chump change. Yeah, they were worth maybe an eighth of that. Wow. Phase one was well underway, bringing us Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, the first Avenger, and of course, the Avengers. 
Along the way, we were introduced to other characters that would all play major roles in the films, including Nick Fury, Black Widow, Loki, War Machine, and Hawkeye. By 2012, the stories had been within this shared universe that Marvel had created, and for the first time, a story arc that bounced between franchises would culminate in a new one. To use a well-known cliché, the rest is history. You see, the first Iron Man was successful because it had an engaging story to tell. It had great directing and amazing special effects. It even managed to help change our movie-going culture by forcing many of us to stay until after the credits, hoping there was just one more thing for us to see. That continued in future releases. The narratives created by comic book writers were infused with new life as stories that took fistfuls of issues leapt off of those pages to tell a story on the big screen. The characters and franchises shown to us on the screen showed people that you don't necessarily need to like comic books to enjoy them through this medium. Prior to the MCU, Hollywood films would have sequels and maybe even prequels, but now it seems that every studio is after the holy grail of a shared universe. Obviously, having a shared universe isn't a new concept. We saw it in the same comics that Marvel is making films for, and we've seen it in things like Star Wars. But now more than ever, things like Lego have a shared universe, and the massive disappointment that is currently the DCEU. Did I throw shade? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But all of these franchises and companies have made attempts to make lightning strike twice, but they don't have Thor on their side. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Throughout the run of what is now known as the Infinity Saga, the MCU, even if it's not completely responsible for it, helped mold society. Although it already existed in slightly different forms, around the time that the final Avengers movie was released, podcasting had also started to make its presence known. Podcasts about television shows, movies, comics and even just being a nerd were being heard by hundreds of thousands of people around the world these podcasts were talking about things that few people would talk about in public just years ago due to fear of ridicule again the mcu didn't single-handedly do this but in many ways it helped validate that this nerdy pastime was cool the box office numbers helped solidify it The MCU has brought together troves of fans from different upbringings, different cultures, different beliefs, and allowed them to connect on common ground. It gave a voice to people that felt voiceless. It has provided representation with honor and has allowed people around the world to feel heroic just knowing who they are. But ultimately, it showed us that although some things may be inevitable, all it takes is one snap to change the world. Oh, that was cool. <laughs> and, and that's the story of the MCU and its <laughs> impact on society. It's crazy because it, many parts of that reminded me of Walt Disney's story where he's basically on the verge of completely collapsing the business and just takes one more mega risk and it pays mm-hmm. off. Right. And then one more mega risk and it pays off. And wields some crazy deal with some so-and-so and it ends up being hugely profitable right it's it's really cool 
hearing stories like that. And man, oh man, have they been successful. Haven't they, though? Yeah. It's been an amazing trip, just going along with all of these films. Uh, I, I think when they first were released in the theaters, I didn't watch them all because uh, I didn't see the value that they brought together. I remember watching Iron Man. I remember watching uh, Captain America. Uh, and I remember watching Avengers, but the other ones I just kind of felt like were supporting films that somehow I would just catch up on. And now that I've seen all of them and I've seen them in succession, I can't imagine it any other way, you know, because they do all feed into each other. And we talk a little bit about this in the extended episode that we did, but this is going to be really difficult for Marvel to continue doing as they enter phase four. Especially yeah. now with Disney Plus coming and with all the TV shows that are under production, there, there's a, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, there's, there's so much that I want to talk about, but it's also in that episode, so I don't want to repeat <laughs> myself. The point is, the MCU it changed a lot of people's lives, and and I think some of the biggest impact that it made was just really allowing people to be who they were without the fear of being ridiculed and just knowing Mm -hmm. that there was other people around them that were just like them, that wanted to dress like them when they went to conventions that read the same things that they read, that had the same feelings even as they did that just because they were crushed when something happened in the comics that they wouldn't be laughed at Gavin because you know, there was someone (laughs) else that shared those feelings with them. So, huh. so now we want to hear your thoughts on the MCU. If you guys have any thoughts about what I just talked about or how the MCU has made you feel, you know, join the conversation over on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. Search for Podcateers. Leave us a message. Uh, you can even leave a message for us in the blog post for the episode over at podcateers.com slash 258. We'd love to hear your thoughts and share them in an upcoming episode. Uh, and that's it. I need more tea. <laughs> I think Get it's more time. tea, man. Yeah, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Um, so before we go... Again, if you are not part of the FGP squad, this is a great opportunity for you to join. You'll get access to this special episode that we're going to be posting on Patreon. So if you want a little bit of a taste of what that episode is going to be like, stick around after this episode because you'll be able to preview the first half an hour-ish of the the recorded episode, which ran just about two hours. Uh, it was a great conversation. I just want to say thanks again to Lee from Hilt Radio and Jason from the Wise Guy Radio Show, also a glass artist over at Aribus Brothers over at Walt Disney World in Disney Springs. If you haven't gone by, check it out. Go by, say hello, tell him that you heard the episode and uh, check out some of the awesome stuff that he does because he's a fantastic artist. And also thank you to Gavin for the 83 minute soliloquy. That was a part of that episode. No problem. <laughs> I mean, off the cuff. Anytime you want me to talk for 80 minutes plus about Marvel, I'm your guy. See, I, fe- I mean, I felt like if we added like a beat to it, if somebody was beatboxing, it was like listening to just a rapper just go off. And it was, you know what I mean? It was just freestyling yep. and flowing. MC Super Gav. <laughs> MC Super Gav. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's where we end this episode. So <laughs> thank you all for listening. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. See you guys next time. Bye. Major luck. shouldn't exhaust my voice like that especially considering that i've been sick all weekend and i can kind of feel that tinge in my throat the tea is kind of helping the the cough drops are kind of helping but you know what i don't care because we're about to talk about the mcu that's how much i like the mcu and that's how much i love everybody listening right now so hello to everybody listening Gavin and I are joined today by uh, some awesome people and friends of the show. Uh, you've obviously heard him here before, along with his wife, Brittany, as guest co-hosts in the past. They host their own podcast called Hilt Radio, where they talk about their thoughts on Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and really everything under the Disney umbrella. Liam, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, an ice cream so nice, you had to have it back twice. Right? That's usually <laughs> how it works out, man. Uh, Next, we have one of our East Coast friends and member of the FGP squad. You've also heard him co-host with us before. He's one of the best uh, glass artists that I've come across. He works at the Aribus Brothers at Disney Springs and hosts his own podcast where he talks to other glass artists about their journey. An entrepreneur like none other and the host of the Wise Guy Radio Show, Jason. Welcome back, man. Hey, thank you so much. Excited to be here. Third time. Right on. Right breaking, on. Breaking records. <laughs> you are breaking records. Uh, you're the first. We're going to have to get you a patch, a pin, uh, some kind of commemorative plate or something. The five-timer jacket, I think, is where we need to go with this. Like the SNL one? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Except Podcateer's yeah. Blue. Well, I mean, considering that we're talking about the MCU and Robert Downey Jr. kind of got his start on SNL, I mean, I guess... I guess it ties in, right? Hey, I will be I will be in that same conversation. I appreciate it, guys. You're making me blush over here. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, let's let's just jump into this, right? Uh, it's you know, it's difficult really to find a place to start except the beginning, really. Uh, going back to Iron Man, you know, Marvel has obviously become one of the highest-grossing franchises ever. Uh, Avatar still holds a top spot as of the recording of this episode. But when you look at those 25 top films of all time, Marvel holds a pretty good grip of them. Uh, Seven, eight of them, I think, uh, as of this recording. Over the past 11 years and uh, almost two dozen films once Spider-Man Far From Home is released. Let's talk a little bit about what the MCU means to each one of us. Liam, let's start with you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what the MCU in general means to you. Sure. I mean, you know, I started as a a kid kind of reading my my father's Mighty Thor comics. And, you know, that sort of introduces you to the Avenger or the Avengers at large. Uh, But, you know, you never think at that age that you're ever going to actually see these characters live, you know, full blooded on screen. And, you know, as as the MCU has continued to progress from 2008 all the way now to, to 2019, I mean, just the the sheer um 
momentum that that it would take to be able to continue to keep not just the the fans invested but the actors to be have them keep coming back having them want to portray these roles to to really uh, uh give their all to make sure that everything uh everything feels that same connection that everyone feels invested and in, that these characters resonate with anybody from you know people in their 30s and 40s all the way down to you know three and four year olds you know i, I know when i was a kid growing up there was no way i was going to be able to name even one or two of these characters and you know my son sits there with uh his disney infinity characters and he can name all of them you know when we're sitting in the theater you know i'm you see other kids falling asleep and my kids cheering every single time a new character pops up on screen it's just uh, it's awe-inspiring to to know that he's going to grow up in a world where these characters are more famous than the actors that portray them and that's i mean to me that's pretty freaking cool yeah They've definitely been put on a, a different type of pedestal than I think we've ever seen, especially growing up with the toys that we played with, you know, when we were young. So, yeah, that that's cool. My my boys do the exact same thing. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, Jason, tell us a little bit about what the MCU means to you. Well, growing up myself, uh, I've been drawing and doing stuff since I was a wee lad. Kindergarten, I won my first contest as an artist, you know, kind of thing. So... Early on, I was drawing comic strips, never comic books, and then eventually through my middle school years, and then I got into high school, uh, my best friend at the time, Rob Bartlett, introduced me to comic books, and I saw his boxes upon boxes upon boxes of comics, and I started going through them and reading them, and I was enjoying the art, and then I got my first subscription to comics, and from that point, I was hooked. I had started going my own boxes upon boxes upon boxes. And it changed my art style, it changed my influence, uh, the Jim Lees and those kind of guys, the Hatfields that were all coming into the eyes of artists that were changing the style of the Marvel world, uh, really influenced my artwork. And then fast forward to 99, uh, when I started doing the glass stuff, I never still imagined, which is it's still surreal for me now even, that I would work at Disney as a glass artist. But still through those years, I was still drawing comics and doing comic books and stuff of my own stuff. And then the movies started to come out, and they helped, helped to pass time in the studio doing these marathons of all the movies and seeing how things were kind of working around themselves. And then seven years ago, starting to work for Rebus Brothers at Disney, uh, never at first started doing characters, and then I eventually started doing characters. And then two years ago, or I guess a year and a half ago now, uh, had the opportunity to start making and developing Baby Groot, uh, which will hopefully become our first uh, Marvel character. And he's like the, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy is the one uh, IP, in a sense, within the Marvel world that Disney has opportunity to use at, at Walt Disney World. And uh, because of that, we I have the ability to do them in glass. And it feels like my entire life of art through drawing and sculpting and things that then got to my glass. And in 20 years with the glass art, learning my techniques has all culminated to this amazing opportunity uh, to not only set a milestone for our company, but it's set a milestone for Marvel because it will be the first time Marvel has ever had to approve anything in glass for them, and that's wow. how we work it. You know, I I wanted to initially set milestones on my characters, so I started making Remy from Ratatouille. He's a Pixar character. He became our first in-house Pixar piece that had to go out to California to get approved by Pixar, and now I have uh, potentially this Baby Groot character. And I'm still working on the pose because uh, Baby Groot is cute doing whatever he's doing, whether he's dancing or trying to kill you. <laughs> so my my goal is to do the John Travolta Saturday Night Fever cover where he's doing the Staying Alive nice. dance. But he might be running after you trying to rip your face off. I'm still kind of debating. 
and going to with Liam and, and Hazen too, you know, talking about having kids, having the opportunity to take my son to these movies and watching this emotional roller coaster he goes through and him sobbing while I'm sobbing is <laughs> the most incredible bonding experience I've ever had with any human being in my life. I mean, my daughter does the same thing, you know, but as, as boys at the movie, because I'm like a five-year-old kid when he's, you know, when I'm with him at the movies. It's the yeah. same thing, you know. The Star Wars world is the same way, but for me, the co- the comics and the Marvel universe is such a broader spectrum of characters that he's he knows more of them than I do, and he's now learning how to handle comics properly and not bending the corners. And he's got all his Pokemon <laughs> cards now, all taken care of, and in their sleeves, and then you know because I taught him how to properly handle his comics. So all these massive influences that the Marvel universe has had in our life. DC has had zero influence on my life, except <laughs> I love the Joker. I love Superman and Batman. Uh, the death of Superman was a big influence in my life. That, that, that point of when he died and that whole series that came out, which I have never opened because I want to make sure it stays in the bag forever and sealed. <laughs> but a friend of mine had the series, so I read his. And then I got the, the mistake <laughs> of opening it. Did you? I yeah. still have the white, the white cover. I never touched it. Oh, man. Wow. That's nice. I hope yes. you at least wore gloves when you were flipping through his pages. He did, right. dude. He doesn't. His comic books had like <laughs> Snickers stains on them and stuff. You should have seen like his super, his super NES controllers had like Oreo cookies like embedded in them. So he didn't care. That's funny. <laughs> class act. Class act. Oh yeah, totally. It's funny that you mentioned digging through your friend's old boxes of comic books because uh, I remember. You know, not having access to a lot of that myself, but with things like free comic book day now, you know, that started back in like 2001 with the release of Spider-Man. The point of entry to comic books is at an all time high, especially when you think about how they're available through digital means now. So, yeah, I mean, kids these days, they have it easy. Back in my day, you had to walk 20 miles in the snow to get a comic book. Uphill, <laughs> I mean, not really, ways. but, you know. <laughs> Barefoot. Barefoot, there Gavin. you go. <laughs> Gavin, what about you? What does the MCU mean to you? Yeah, uh, for me, it's it's a little bit different than all of you guys who um, are 100% invested. You know, I'm, I'm definitely what you would consider a casual fan and casual observer in some ways of the MCU. So I've been just fascinating, fascinating, fascinated. <laughs> I'm so fascinating. You are. Well, you are, but uh, you are. I've been fascinated watching it grow and become this phenomenon and watch people get so excited about it. Uh, you know, going into it, I, I was only aware of one character, and that would be the Incredible Hulk, because I watched the old TV show as a little kid. And so to me, it was a, a universe of entirely new characters. And to watch everybody just fall in love with them and it turn into the phenomenon that it is has been really interesting. And, you know, I've never been a superhero guy, never been into superhero films, and I almost never watched them. But that changed with the MCU. They were able to do something a little different and approach their storytelling and their character development in a way that I feel gave it a much broader appeal than traditional superhero movies that preceded it did. So... I, I think they've done a great job. You know, I don't, I still don't consider myself a superhero fan, uh, but I've seen most of the MCU movies and I've enjoyed them. And I think that it's a very, very unique thing that they've created. You know, I don't think that we'll see 
something quite like this ever again. I, I think it's a unique time in film history and it's kind of cool that we get to watch it play out. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think we've seen the crescendo and the, the ultimate peak, uh, with end game and it'll be hard for any film studio, Disney or otherwise to reach another peak like this. It's, it's incredible. It really is. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I want to get into that a little bit more later on in the podcast, but I know exactly what you guys are talking about. I, I think I can relate to each one of you when it comes to, I think, what the MCU has meant for me. Uh, however, growing up, I didn't really have as many comic books as I think uh, Jason and Liam, you guys had access to. My comic book introduction really came from the Saturday morning cartoons and coming home from school and watching X-Men, the animated series, and you know, like that oh, theme yeah. song, you know, just resonates in my head to this day. And I remember watching and just absolutely just loving Gambit, right? Because I've always been a huge magic nerd. He's got playing cards and boom, you know, he that's his weapon of choice. And I loved it. And then tragedy struck. And, of course, I had to shift my momentum in my fandom to another character. And I kind of by default went to Wolverine. Eventually, I became a Superman fan, and I, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before that I felt betrayed by Superman when they killed him off. You know, when I read the Funeral for a Friend series, I was devastated, man, and I just never turned back after that. Uh, I, I felt like I seriously lost somebody that w- that I was fully invested in. Uh, I kind of feel the same way with uh, Endgame at this point, but I, I think because I kind of saw something like that coming in Endgame, it's a little bit different. I, plus, I'm I'm in a different age range than I was when I first read Funeral for a Friend, so I think I'm more prepared to handle something like that than I used to be. And I know that might not make sense to a lot of people, but when you get as invested as I think we can as fans, these things mean something to you, right? Mm -hmm. Those types of changes to these characters really resonate with you pretty hard. And I remember mentioning right before recording one day when we talked about watching Endgame, I told Gavin, I still haven't gotten over it like a week later. And he laughed at me. <laughs> like, I was like, you don't get it, man. Like, it, it's in my core, dude. It's in the core. It is. Well, like my manager at work, he he finally saw it last week. And every day I, I was working, I'm like, have you seen it yet? 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 <laughs> Axel, have you seen this movie yet? Can we talk about it yet? He's like, yeah, I saw it yesterday. Okay, so what'd you think? <laughs> you know, it's just so funny, man. Just just grown men that can act like little kids and be so excited about something. I mean, I never thought at 43 years old almost that I would be weeping openly with other men my age and older at a movie theater, like well, out loud, as, sobbing. Yeah. For comic book yeah. characters. Yeah, of exactly. All, yeah. Of all things, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, and it's, it's funny. Like, I saw it three times opening weekend, right? Oh so I went, you know, I went Thursday. They had a 6, 6 p.m. showing. So I was like, oh, I'm going to see it. It's like, first people in the theater. This is perfect. You know, because we got our assigned seats and everything. So we're all got the popcorn bucket and we're ready to go, which uh, we got uh, Natasha. And they just, they didn't let you pick. They just gave you a popcorn bucket. And it turned out they really only had Hawkeye and Black Widow and that was it. So we got Black Widow. And we were like, oh, no, this is cool. I love Black Widow. This is great. And then after the movie, we're like, thank God we got Black Widow. Like, <laughs> totally, total turnaround at the end of it. But, but it, was, it was cool because I, I see it Thursday night. Friday, my kid had like way too much sugar in the morning or something, way too much Honey Nut Cheerios. So he was not in the proper mindset to sit through a three-hour film again. So Saturday, I, just my wife and I went. We dropped the kid off at his cousin's house. And then Sunday, I took 
my two nephews. So I had like three distinctly different experiences going to see the movie. And I would say it was more emotional each time I saw it. Like the first time, because you're still just as though the rug got pulled out from underneath yeah. you. Mm-hmm. But by the second time, it's almost worse because you know what's coming. That's what and I then, hear. And then the third time, you're watching everybody else's reaction to see like if they're going to respond the same way you did. Um, it was it was pretty impressive. So I haven't seen it since those first three, uh, but I anticipate. Um, I saw Saving Private Ryan five times in the movie theater. I want to see this at least as many, if not one more. So that way I can say this is the movie I've seen the most in the theaters. So really, you're the one that's going to put them over the top to beat Avatar. <laughs> I know we're not supposed to swear, so I'm just going to say capital F Avatar, dude. Does anybody even <laughs> remember the plot of that movie other than there's giant blue cats in it? Like, Gavin does. You, when you think about it, you don't see people in cosplay. You don't see people still like what one liners can you quote from that movie? Nothing. There's nothing memorable about that movie other than the fact that it's the highest grossing movie of all time. So it doesn't deserve that top slot. Endgame will dethrone it, even if I have to see it every day for the rest of my life in the theaters. And you got to remember, because there is inevitably going to be the re-release that is the six-hour, hey, you're going to watch Infinity War Uh and Endgame back-to-back. That will push it over, if nothing else does. And I'm hoping that'll push Infinity War from the five slot to the four slot. Yeah, agreed. And the 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 congratulations for taking over Titanic. Boom! uh, I love Tony Tony Stark and Captain America on the bow of the Titanic. Did you guys see that picture? Yes. Yep. I loved it. Classic. So good. Well, they've 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 done like a history of you know directors doing like an art piece to hand off a hey congratulations on highest domestic gross or highest national gross. So. Um, I, I'm anticipating James Cameron having to bow not once but twice to the might that is the Marvel Cinematic. He'll make universe. them all blue or something. That's what, that, that's probably what it is. <laughs> Especially after his comments that oh this is a flash in the pan and people will forget it because it's only superhero movies and it's like man you got to eat crow twice. That sucks yeah. for you man. Yeah, and I don't think that movie a was a day that goes by that I don't say this is my friend rabbit. This is my friend tree. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, too, and well, Avatar was in the movies for so long, like you know, in terms oh, of how long yeah. it played out. And now we have all these all this competition out right now that could potentially take away from from Endgame. I well, mean, John, when Endgame's making like five million dollars on a Wednesday afternoon, it yeah. has to yeah. say something about a movie. And when you have well, like old lady clubs that are going to see this film, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it says as it should be, right? Exactly. As <laughs> as is their intent. Well, no, because you you somebody had forecasted june 11th should be the anticipated date that it overtakes avatar even with like a 65 percent drop week over week so they're saying right now june 11th but i think that there probably will be another big push um right around spider-man so i think that because that's what happened with captain marvel she got a little bit of a bump right after infinity or right after endgame drop so i think when far from home drops we'll probably see another little bump um, for for Endgame, and I think that'll that'll help take it if it hasn't taken it by June. Doing the nine hour marathons where you watch Infinity War, Endgame, and Far From Home. Yep, that's that's um, I'm on board, man. You know, watch the end of Phase Three <laughs> with a catheter. That's awesome. Yeah, with a yeah, catheter. Right. <laughs> Just put it put it right in my you veins. Know, I'm ready. It, it's funny that you mention that because my kids are young. And uh, they have tiny bladders, right? And so anytime that we go to any film, we always get worried that we're going to have to get up at some point to have to go to the restroom. And for this one, it was we, we tried to calculate it in such a way where they didn't have a lot of liquid. They had a minimal amount of snacks so that they didn't have to get up. Throughout the entire film... 
they were really invested in what was happening. And when you think about how children process things, for the most part, they watch all these movies, they watch these cartoons, and at times you you just sometimes wonder like what's going through their head because something sad happens and they're like oh man that sucks right <laughs> it oh, it just happened but my kids were just so invested in this where like their eyes were getting watery like th- like you said Jason like i was connecting with my kids on a whole different level mm-hmm. watching especially endgame and when they were seeing things that were happening like i've seen emotions come out of my children uh, especially like i remember watching uh, in the theater the fight on Wakanda when we were watching Black Panther. Dude, my oldest son lost it. <laughs> and I mean lost it. He was the loudest kid in the theater when you just watch up on screen and it's like, Wakanda forever! Yeah. And then they start running. He's like, yeah! <laughs> I just lost it. Like, I couldn't believe. And I realized, oh, wow, he's a Black Panther fan. Okay, good. Good to know. Good awesome. to know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting what these films can really harbor inside of you and how you connect with them on that type of level. Uh, Let's talk about Iron Man a little bit and let's talk about the casting of Robert Downey Jr. Because before it was decided that Robert Downey Jr. was going to play the part, John Favreau had looked around and, you know, names like Tom Cruise, Nicolas Cage, Clive Owen, Hugh Jackman, who's now Wolverine. I mean, that name is synonymous with Wolverine now. Uh, Sam Rockwell, Leonardo DiCaprio... These were all names that were considered, you know, for Iron Man at the time. Uh, But, you know, John Favreau really fought to have Robert Downey Jr. play the part. This might be a little bit of a loaded question, but how do you think the MCU would be different had Robert Downey Jr. not taken the mantle as Iron Man? Well, I think it's it's difficult to talk hypotheticals no matter, you know, what the scenario is. But I, I think... Any other actor that you could have put there, especially your Tom Cruises, your your Leonardo DiCaprio's, I think for them, they would not have been in, as invested into the role because it wouldn't have meant as much for their career. For them, it would have been, just been another paycheck. And like, yeah, they still prepare for the roles. I'm not saying that they don't care about the job that they do, but... It, this wouldn't have been a make or break it for them. Whereas for Robert Downey Jr., I mean, what, other than kiss, kiss, bang, bang? Like, he hadn't really done a whole lot. So, you know, it, within the recent years, because he was he was box office poison, because the, the, all of the issues that he had outside of, of, uh, of shooting these films, so it was in, incredibly important, I think, for him as an individual to make sure that this movie was going to be successful. And, you know, when you look down... Throughout these films, throughout the Avengers movies, and and now that we know so much of Iron Man 1 was improvised, that he kind of helped set the tone and the voice for what these movies would eventually do. I mean, just I'm not just him. Obviously, John Favreau, Gwyneth Paltrow, like everybody else that was involved in the film, you know, had a, a large part to play with this. But, you know, I, I think had that been casted differently i don't think we would have the mcu that we have because so much of it was constructed around the success that we saw in 2008's iron man yeah it was it was definitely a serendipitous moment for the whole the culture of this film i mean just the mcu in general especially when you look at the casting i I can't imagine any character not being played and portrayed by the actor or actress that played them (laughs) i I just i it doesn't work you know it's like for me like it's like going back to read the harry potter books like I read the Harry Potter books and I'm visualizing the actors and actresses that play the characters in those roles. Yeah. I just don't see anybody else playing that, you know, playing those parts. It just it just worked out perfectly. But then you go back to John Favreau being the director, it it 
took me three films to realize he was the director of that first movie. I didn't even know he was directing films at all. I just knew him as an <laughs> this comedy actor guy. And then the genius that he you know, had behind his film, and then I'm doing research on it. And then you start going into the second Iron Man and the Cap Shield Easter egg that's in there that completely went over my head until I watched it for like the third time. And then I had to go back <laughs> and rewatch all the movies to see what I missed and how these things were beginning to tie together. Like I was actually, I had a chalkboard in my studio where I was creating a like a, a string chart on my chalkboard of how <laughs> so much was connected and what should I watch first. It was like trying to put all the Star Wars films in order, you know, like kind of thing. And because I would do my, these marathons in my studio and I wanted to watch these films in certain sequences so I could catch these Easter eggs that made the story for me even a broader story altogether that really tied it all together. And then... Thor 2 came out, and that was kind of, you know, a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of put the brakes on for that one there. It was truly the dark world. It was, man. Well, I think it's 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 so tough because you look at those characters and the arcs that we got throughout the, the, the entirety of the MCU, and I think somebody like Iron Man, I want to say they kind of got it all right right off the bat. I think with Captain Ooh. America, I love the first Avenger. It's still one of my top 10 movies, right? Mm -hmm. But I think they really didn't figure out that character until Avengers. And then they were like, oh, okay, this is going to be Cap. All right, now we know what we're going to do. And then we get, you know, obviously Winter Soldier and then eventually Civil War. But with Thor, we don't really get the Thor that we know and love now until Ragnarok, you know? Yeah, we, you, yeah. you get glimpses of it with like the banter and the little one-liners here or there, but I mean, I mean, I think Taika Waititi had just as much to do with it as Chris Hemsworth to develop that character. So I think, Jason, what you had said before, where I can't imagine any of the actors other than Terrence Howard and Edward Norton being, <laughs> being replaced. Yes. I mean, everybody else. But I, but I almost wonder if we did need to replace somebody. I have the utmost faith that Kevin Feige would have found an actor that would have done a fantastic job. Because you, th you think about with Dark Knight, I don't think anybody was super excited with Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker, right? But Not then you you watch that film and you go, I can't imagine anybody else. This was a phenomenal take on this character. Yeah. So I think sometimes it is we have to be presented with the with the movie itself to really pass judgment on it. Because I, I even think about it now, like I, I I don't know if any of like Clive Owen or Leonardo DiCaprio or Sam Rockwell who killed it as Justin Hammer. I mean, who says they wouldn't have done a great job as Iron Man? It would have been a different Iron Man than what we got with Robert Downey Jr., but who's to say different isn't still good? Well, even the guy yeah. that played Hawkeye, which I, I hate not knowing his name. Oh, but Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Him being such a sub-character in, in all these films to get the opening scene in Endgame oh. was perfect. <laughs> and it really, like, it for me, it was like, the Band-Aid got ripped off immediately. The tears started to flow. I yep. knew what was going to happen. You know, like that whole sequence was just like, this is a perfect setup for this character to then go into Ronan, which has never been exposed as a character except for in the comic books. I thought was an awesome take on his character. They didn't say what his, his, his name was as a samurai, but for him to go off and go to this dark place, I thought was a perfect way to give him this spotlight in these films because he has not had, he's been a secondary character. Even though he's, you know, he's the guy with the bow and arrow, as he even referred to himself. And it, it was so cool to see him get this whole new take. 
Not to mention, he also gave us the introduction of the new haircut and hairstyles and all these. All these yeah. <laughs> but he gave that to us when he was playing tag. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> you know, you know what I love about the that that intro is that initially that was supposed to be part of Infinity War, and then they yep. go, "No, let's break their hearts right from the get go, yep. and we'll we'll kick it off." And it kind of made it worth not having Hawkeye in Infinity War. Because he was so important in in Endgame, and it just, yeah. oh god, it's, you mentioning it just immediately got my 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 throat choked up. I was like, I, oh, god, I know, right? <laughs> I, I I almost picked my kid up and like lifted him over. Like, no, you, I'm just gonna sit with dad and cry for a minute. Like, oh, oh yeah, man, I was in between both my kids. I had my hands on both their legs. I was like, oh my god, this is so sad, <laughs> terrible. Please don't yeah. go away. It was crazy how just within five to ten minutes, they just had you back in the state of watching the end of Infinity War without trying too much. There wasn't action scenes. There wasn't anything super heavy to remind you about what happened. But that one scene, man, you instantly felt everything that happened in the prior film. And it was really well done. Yeah, not to mention that we all have a very defined term of what inevitable means. Yeah. Yeah. Heck like yeah. he really drove that home and that the you know Thanos was like that word will forever be such a definitive word and term of what, you know, what what the inevitable means. I mean, in the Matrix it was there as well. But the way Thanos portrayed it, it was he was such a good martyr. I hate that man. At the, end of that movie, <laughs> I, at the end of that movie, I yelled it out in the theater. I hate you, Thanos. I was so pissed. They and did their job. I had I had heard that the directors went into, uh, they were talking to some of the actors, and they were just like, what was your craziest experience in the theater? And Mark Ruffalo said that when he was in uh, Endgame, some guy stood up and ripped off his shirt in the theater and screamed at the top of his lungs when the movie ended. Imagine nice. seeing yeah, that. Imagine that. that that's so intense. I, I love, though, like the, the opening night when I went, you know, Thursday, 6 p.m., you know, uh, to the day before technically the actual release. But I love the fact that Marvel has us trained to sit and wait through the entire credits. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I've yeah. done it my entire life because my parents were big on that because they wanted to show appreciation to everybody that worked on the film. So we were always the last ones in the theater. We would be sitting there till the very end. And I want to say my, my mother said it was like maybe for a, a young Sherlock Holmes. They, they, because they had always sat through the credits and there was a little post-credit scene and you get to see you know Professor Moriarty. And she was like, oh my gosh. So they kind of validated sitting through those credits. And so when my mm-hmm. wife and I first started dating and we were sitting through, cause Oh my God, I, we, we met in 2009, started dating in 2010. So I want to say it was maybe Thor. No, it was Iron Man two. It was probably like the first one that we sat in the theater together for. And, uh, she was like kind of ready to get up and go. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I, I sit through the credits the whole time. She was like, all right, that's fine. So we sat, waited to the end and you know, you get the post credit scene with the, 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 um, hammer in the middle of the desert. And I was just like, mm-hmm. and she was like, Oh no, that's so cool. And I was like, I telling you, you gotta sit for these. So now I almost yell at people when they get up and I'm like, have you never been to a Marvel movie before? You know, you have to wait till the end. And with this one, just hearing the hammer sound, that little yeah. throwback to the cave, that was perfect. So I love that they have always done right by their audience with giving us that little extra. I'm so trained. I have to Google every movie I see at the very end of it. Is there an end credit scene? <laughs> Even seen Aladdin last night. Is there an end yeah. credit scene for yeah. Aladdin? <laughs> yeah. Oh Just man. In case. You have to be careful with those, man, because sometimes they tell you what the what the scene is, yeah. and yeah. you obviously don't want it ruined for you. But yeah. 
I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel exactly the same about staying, even when it's not a Marvel film. I feel yeah. like now I have to stay till the end of, of everything at this point because you just never know. You know, Marvel shares this amazing parallel with the Disney company where when you think about what Walt Disney did when he was building the parks and he was building Disneyland and had all these ideas, there was a lot of imitators. And even now, there's a lot of companies that really try to imitate. And they say that it's the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, flattery. But nobody ever hits it exactly the same. And the MCU, I feel, did the same thing in their own spectrum, right? They mm-hmm. were able to create something that everyone wants to emulate, but just they can't get it right. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw this with the DCEU, but I, I think really the biggest problem with the DCEU was the fact that they wanted to get the hype and get everything that came with creating this universe in a compressed amount of time. And so we started seeing these films that just had way too many plot lines and too many characters and just felt rushed. And this was something that was built over 11 years, not 11 minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. I heard a story recently that when uh, Kevin Feige was initially developing the concepts with Marvel, that the the guy at the time who was running uh, DC was in this meeting and and Kevin Feige is talking about how eventually they want to get everybody together and have this this unit, the Avengers, you know, on screen. And the dude from uh, DC was kind of just like, what are you talking about? This is impossible. You're a joke kind of thing. Yeah. You know? It's like, hey, look at us now. Yeah. I, I think a major difference, too, is that with the DC side, they're trying to do it with two main characters who've been done to death already. You know, yeah. They've had several franchises, several reboots. A ton of different actors have played those characters. And with the MCU, it's basically a bunch of characters that really haven't been done in film and they kept consistent actors in those spots you know they didn't you know recast iron man every other film like they do with spider-man and batman and you know i I think that continuity is important you know and like i can't imagine myself ever being interested in a batman movie ever again for the rest of my life well you don't like robert pattinson I just, I can't, you know, He's gonna be because... a sparkly Batman. You don't like Yay! Batfleck? <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. I haven't seen those. I, I just, you know, there, there's, it's not interesting at a certain point. And, and the MCU has found a way to make it interesting for people like me, who is the casual fan, because they made something with continuity, with good storytelling, with actual progressive character development and one film matters to another and Mm -hmm. that has never existed before you know like every single batman movie ever made is a standalone movie for all intents and purposes you know most of them are a retelling of who the heck that character is you know yeah where the mcu they they lay the groundwork and then they build an empire on that and it's it's a really intelligent way to do it and you know, we may never see something exactly like that ever again. Yeah, with it taking place in our real world environment, yeah. pop culture, bringing sure, things yeah. in, you know, like it's happening right now in this time period of our life, like, you know, everything that's going on, whatever year these movies came out, I think is it what helps to tie and bring in a whole nother audience that may not be a superhero fan, but they're like, hey, this is, a, I hear this is a good movie. And then they get sucked into it because they get brought into this what's happening now thing that they can relate to. 
Not that they're relating to superheroes, but they're relating to the fact that they have this pop culture reverence of some sort. Well, and it's yeah. like like me growing up in New York.